I was uh, in a communal setting and I was going to stir some soup and somebody had left a plastic spatula out and I know that plastic's an endocrine disruptor. I don't want to put it into hot soup. I don't want phytoestrogens in my food. And I went to go find a wooden spoon. And as I went to put the wooden spoon in the soup, I heard in my head that uh, I was a hypocrite. Because <laughs> here I had these plastic spoons in my chest, my warm, heart-beating chest. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was the final straw. I made the appointment to uh, consult to get them out. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul talks with a woman of unique expertise, Nicole Devaney. Nicole is a mother, a self-proclaimed how-to healer, and part of the Czech Institute faculty. And she believes that beauty is a feeling that comes from healthy habits and mindset. Nicole is the co-owner of Iron and Salt Studios in Salt Lake City, a holistic healing center, and one of the only places you will find a kitchen in the gym. Well, Nicole, it's lovely to have you on Living 4D with me, Paul Check, and uh, very excited to share you, actually, with the world and the topic of today, boobs. They can make you or break you, and I invited you to be my guest for a number of reasons. One, you're just an amazing woman, and two, you have a lot of knowledge in all things healthcare and exercise and you are an instructor for the Czech Institute and a very very good one at that and you've been through quite a journey with your own experience of implants and I have a lot of clinical experience working with women having challenges with implants uh, which I've been dealing with these things all the way back in the very beginning of my work at uh, sports and orthopedic rehabilitation in 1988. I started seeing women that were having problems with implants, but then when I owned my clinic, Golden Triangle Rehabilitation, with my partner, Steve Clark, which was a physical therapy clinic, I had several very severe cases of problems with breast implants. And I've seen them, I've seen the psychological side of it, I've seen the physical and physiological side of it, the emotional side of it. Um, uh, one lady that I worked with, I don't know if I've ever told you the story before, but she she had uh, quite an old model of implant. You know, they were very firm, almost like um, a mannequin that you see in a store. And they were probably about seven years old at the time. And what brought her to me was she started having a lot of strange neurological complications, blurred vision, dizziness, uh, muscle spasms, uh, inability to sleep, anxiety attacks, which led to her being put on all sorts of drugs. And when I was working with her, I was she was referred by a physician for all these other symptoms, but using my normal methods of evaluating what was going on, I became suspicious that she might be getting poisoned by silicone. And it took us a while to find somebody that would test her. And back then, the only way you could test silicone levels in the body was to test it in the cerebral spinal fluid. Uh, that was the only test that we could get a hold of in the San Diego area. 
And when we got her tested, she had 700 times the safe limit of silicone. Wow. And, uh, you know, I told her, you got to get these things out. But she was so attached to them, she wouldn't do it. Well, she developed petite mal seizures probably about two months after that. And then she still wouldn't get them out. And, of course, I was putting her on detoxification uh, protocols and things like that. But probably after about three more months, she started having grand mal seizures. And once a physician uh, identifies you having grand mal seizures, they have to report you and you lose your driver's license. So she could no longer drive her car to work and she ran her own business. So it created a bit of a problem. And believe it or not, she still wouldn't get them out. And it got to the point where uh, her insurance what her insurance would cover was maxed out. I had given her the detox protocols, the corrective exercise, stretching, mobilization, nutrition suggestions. But the last I remember was she'd seen me about two more visits and she was having to take taxi cabs to and from everywhere. But she simply refused to get them out because she did not like the way she looked without them. And that, and, and it got to the point where she would she was willing to accept grand mal seizures. Um, her relationship with her husband had broken down. It was very hard for her to run her business. She was uh, really fighting off a lot of uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, syndrome type symptoms, body aching, and just the insecurity of never knowing when she might go into a seizure. So that was one of my first really uh, close up looks at how powerful the psychology of breast implants are uh, for women. And so when I was thinking about podcasts that I wanted to do, one of the things that popped right up in my mind is I've got to interview Nicole Devaney because she has a lot of experience with this. So I'll start by saying, Nicole, aside from the preamble here, that one, I really have a high level of respect for you. I've, I feel like strangely you're, uh, I hate to say this, but I feel like you're like a daughter to me because when you first started taking courses with me, you were, you know, a fair bit younger. How long ago was that now? Almost 12 years ago. Yeah, it was about 12 years ago. And you kind of had the energy of a, you know, a vibrant, sexy 20 something year old with, uh, you know, I could see I could see the stage of your development and your body language and just where you're at. And you know, I pulled you aside and whispered in your ear now and then. But I've watched you transform. I've watched you go from um, a very sexy, um, physically oriented pole dancer to one of the most wise capable, loving, healing women I know, actually. And you've gotten into work with medicines and and shamanic training and have done so much deep work on yourself. I just want to start by saying to everyone listening, if you trust my judgment, you're in the presence of a very wise, very intelligent woman who's really walked through the fires of life and is a real living example that a human being can transform and that the butterfly can definitely come out of the cocoon. And 
Nicole, congratulations for all the growth and development you've done and all the pain you've worked through, emotion, relationships, being a mother, growing your business, healing on a very deep level, and really uh, devoting your life in service to other people. So I, I just want to say I'm grateful for you and that I love you very much. Wow, Paul, you're going to start with tears in my eyes. <laughs> well, you know, I I might cry too because I, you know, as a as a teacher, it's it's amazing to see the things you get to see. And I've been doing this for 34 years, and you know, I've watched young people come in who then grow up, have families, and achieve very high levels of success. And sometimes I feel like I'm getting very old, but, uh, you know, the journey has given me an opportunity to, to participate in the lives of people like yourself. And now, uh, you know, if you would have asked me on day one of the first class, will you ever be interviewing Nicole Devaney because for expertise or the level of wisdom she developed, I, I might be a bit confused by the question, but you certainly taught me that uh, all things are possible and never judge a book by the cover, although the cover is very beautiful, I must say. But uh, why don't you introduce yourself a bit? I, I just wanted to share my observation and experience of you. Could you share for our listeners a bit about who you are and and what your path has been and what your what you what you do professionally um, and how that relates to our topic before we jump into it today. I'd love to. And I, I first want to start by saying that all of this change and all of this growth that I've been able to experience has be become has come from the teachings that the Czech Institute provided. Mm. You know, a lot of us are trying to become the best self that we can be. And I think a lot of us have parents and uh, elders that aren't really performing the duty of an elder because we've lost the elders in our society. We've lost ways of uh, working with ourself and, and looking into ourselves. And, and the last 12 years of working through uh, all of the Czech courses, I didn't become a Czech practitioner to work with people, I, I came to heal myself. Um, and so it's, it's just an honor to actually be here uh, working with you personally and working in conjunction with your dream, which is to heal the world. And I think that we do that with one digestive system at a time. With one <laughs> at a time. <laughs> um, so I'm a mother. Uh, that's, that's my biggest role I play in life. I have a beautiful 15-year-old daughter. And I also am an owner of a holistic studio in Salt Lake City, Utah called Iron and Salt. It has a gym on one side and a kitchen on the other because I don't think that you can come into healing the body with just movement. And we know that as Czech practitioners. Um, I'm a master Czech practitioner and also a teacher for the Institute. And that was probably the biggest honor I could have ever been given. Um, so before all of this holistic work I've been doing for the past 12 years, I was actually an international cover model for High Times Magazine and an activist. I would travel the world um, trying to educate people uh, about a really beautiful plant and work for freedom in using that. 
I also was a yogini and a contortionist and an exotic dancer. I, I was, uh, well, I opened up Salt Lake City's first pole dancing studio. Uh, it's not necessarily a city that you would think that pole dancing would be accepted, but uh, with a degree in accounting and a background in small business, I felt like with the pole dancing becoming big on the scene, it was my first opportunity to create a business that people thought I had some legitimate practice in pole dancing, which is funny because I didn't even know a single pole trick. <laughs> I, I, I just knew that women wanted to feel sexy like I did every time I got on stage and that I could teach that. And the pole dancing was just a big um, front so that I could bring them in and teach them my other classes while about cultivating beauty through action. And um, so that was a lot of work, you know, being a single mom and dancing and owning a business and doing all of the flexibility and bending that at one point, um, well, actually, let me just take it back a little bit further. The first seven years of dancing, I was very adamant that I would never get implants, that the human body was beautiful as it was, and I would never understand why a woman would change this, this perfect vehicle. And then I had a baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not only did I have a baby, but uh, at a year old, I became, or my daughter was a year old, I became a single mother. And of all the things that I could do for work and to make money, dancing afforded me a lot less time at work and a lot more money to provide for my daughter and an education. And so I worked really hard to get my sexy body and my sexy figure back. And as I got on stage for many 20-something-year-old men, uh, I realized that my breasts did not match the body I had. Mm. And, uh, so for me, my implants became a business decision. And I remember <laughs> breastfeeding my daughter until she was nearly three years old. We did a natural childbirth and, uh, I'd saved enough money that the month that I had to wait between breastfeeding and getting my implants, we had a party in the backyard. It was a booby party. It was hmm. a party for my daughter to be done uh, breastfeeding. It was kind of like a graduation and a celebration. It was also a party for me to get my breasts. And uh, after getting the breasts and returning to work, it was really interesting to witness the change of my clientele. You know, I remember for the years before that, there were so many men that would walk up and tip me and say, thank you for never changing anything. And after getting the breast, I did actually make more money and I would get large tips and, and be told the same thing. You're very beautiful. So, you know, I don't think beauty is a size or a shape. I think it's a feeling that you hold and cultivate. But I also think that in the environment of a strip club, you're um, expected to be a certain size or shape for a sexual purpose. So um, I had my implants for a total of 11 years. I underwent four surgeries wow. and several issues with them before having them removed January of this year. And I'm really excited to share that personal story and all of the education that I've received personally and also different sources online where women can go and look and learn 
to make the smartest decisions that they can make. I don't think it was a bad decision. I personally believe that it led me into all of the work that I'm doing now. And I'm really grateful for it. Well, yeah, that's great. And I'm, you know, part of the reason I want to interview you is because I know that you're in a perpetual state of personal spiritual growth and that you're capable of getting outside of the box and not getting trapped in these things and finding the, you know, the, the silver lining and what may be a dark cloud for people. And I think that there's going to be countless numbers of women listening to this who are going to come to the realization that maybe breast plants are for them. And there's going to be a lot that realize it's probably time to get them out. But I'm, my dream is that you can help anchor women on either side of the, of the fence, so to speak, with some wisdom to help them make better decisions so that they minimize any damage and maximize their opportunity to live their dream. So one of my first questions for you is, can you share what boobs mean to women from a personal, professional, and spiritual perspective? I mean, you know, it would be like if, if a woman was talking about the experience of having a penis, most men wouldn't take her seriously because they know she doesn't have a penis. So she can only fantasize, so to speak. But I know, for example, with my first wife, you know, after my son was born, her boobs got quite saggy. She really didn't like it. And, you know, I had enough knowledge in healthcare all the way back then. I was, I owned my physical therapy clinic then. So I was heavy into all this stuff, but I'm like, I really don't think it's a good idea for you to do that. Why would you want to put something like that? That's toxic in your body. I love you the way you are. And she looked at me and she said something that's imprinted on my head. She said, Paul, if you had to wear your penis on your collar, I bet you'd want a big one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, it's like, you know, if you look at that honestly from a social perspective, um, it really it hit me like a lightning bolt. And I said, well, if that's how you feel about it, then – I support you in doing that. Now, she's a world-class athlete and, um, you know, she, I won't spoil the fun, but she ended up having lots of problems. And then ultimately after, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 years, I'm guessing she opted to have them removed uh, due to the problems that she had. Um, many of which the doctors told her she would never have because she told them right off the bat that she's a, a competitive athlete, weight lifts, and does a lot of vigorous exercise. And they assured her that she'd be fine. But she ended up actually, I think, exploding two or three implants that then leaked into her body and she had to have cert repeated surgeries. And she finally just got to the point where she said, that's enough and opted to have them out. So what I'm really sort of hoping you can do for the men who maybe have a girlfriend or a wife that wants implants, or they may realize in this show they're having problems with implants, help us men understand what boobs mean to a woman, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, well, personally, I love 
boobs. <laughs> I love everything about the female figure. I spent almost 15 years dancing in exotic clubs and were, was able to witness this beautiful expression and, and no shame of the female body. And it was just so powerful for me. Women are soft and silky and we smell good. And I believe that boobs are an outward physical expression of a woman's love and a woman's heart. They are our first form of nourishment. This is what was our food for some of us several years after, after birth. Yeah. Functionally speaking, you know, their, their primary function is, is to breastfeed. Um, their secondary, there's a source of estrogen there for us women. Mm. Um, and, and ultimately they also have been known to help attract a mate, you know, just like a woman subconsciously seeks a man who could create shelter and safety for her. Men are looking at our hips. They're looking at our breasts. Can we support a child that we're going to bear? Um, on a spiritual level, I know that nipples have minor chakras mm. and that these send and receive energy. And I really got to experience this firsthand when I would breastfeed my daughter. If I was in a state of chaos in my mind, uh, her breastfeeding would be very chaotic. She would rip and tear at my nipples. I would be more upset. But if I could breathe and put myself into a parasympathetic state and then begin to express love from my heart, the way that she would nurse would completely change and she'd make the most glorious sounds and she'd go, and she would smile. And and to this day, when she drinks um, something that tastes good to her, she actually makes those same sounds. And so that's cute. (laughs) yeah well mona's a boob man (laughs) (laughs) and so you know i mean this is where we first go to be nourished and that's what they represent to me is the nourishing heart of a woman and if you look at my my new logo it's an upside down heart that came from a mandala that i painted for 2018 of all things and uh inside that heart there's a little little seed that's growing and the four elements. And I just think that that's where everything begins is inside the woman's heart and the love that she cultivates for a partner to create life. That's beautiful. And I think what I'd like to hear a little bit more about as a woman is tell me about the psychology of a woman's aesthetic um, experience of her breasts and you know, my next question is, can you give us an inside tour of the average woman's mind when it comes to understanding why so many choose implants? And I think this has to do a lot with how they perceive that males perceive them. But I'm interested in your opinion. Is this, how much of this do you think is driven by what women think men want versus their own desire to be uh, voluptuous or uh, you know, how much of it is self-perception and what is that self-perception that they're after that boobs give them? And how much of it is driven, do you think, by uh, the desire to attract males or get um, a male's attention or to become somebody that men cannot help but look at? I, I, I'm just looking at it from a male's terms, but I'm curious from your perspective as a woman. 
I, I love this question. And I think it's one that we need to better understand as women. Um, there's a book out there that I read when Kenya was a young girl. It was given to me by a friend and it really made a big difference in how I raise her. And it's called The Fe Female Brain by Luann Brenzadine. And basically, the book breaks down why women do what we do. And on a biological level, what our bodies are built for is procreation to continue the human race. And in order to do that, we can't do it alone. We have to attract a mate. Yes. And as much as we want to say, oh, it doesn't matter what we wear, da 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 da, it does. It does <laughs> on a, a instinctual level. So I learned as my daughter at five years old would try on five princess dresses before she'd find the exact right one and do her hair a hundred times before she felt good walking out of the house. That it was my job as a mother not to tell her, oh, love yourself just as you are, but to do everything in my power to help her feel lovable, attract, attractive. Mm -hmm. And... um and so it's about cultivating that feeling of attraction. And I think where we've really gone wrong is what media, you know, what the, the advertising has told us is attractive. And yeah, very true. There is an interview on YouTube with an evolutionary biologist called, his name is Brett Weinstein. And he breaks down the difference between hotness and beauty. And, and he talks about how males are sexually triggered by a female who is broadcasting hotness, broadcasting being sexually available without commitment. It's an evolutionary win for a man because raising a child takes a lot of energy and commitment. So to have the capacity to impregnate a woman without having to stick around is, is a win. So the big breasts, the, the low-cut shirts, this, this way of attracting men for sex is is what we're taught it, it, but the difference between hotness and beauty is is when you no longer are putting out that sexual vibe yet you still have there's so many women with gray hair and boobs that aren't up to their chin that in just five minutes of conversating with them with looking them in their eyes you can feel the beauty that they emit and it's yes. not necessarily something that you have to go home and sleep with right away, but it leaves an imprint on you. And so I think that the problem is, is women are stuck dating a lot of average males that are. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> and they're keeping them in this position to create a media standard body and appearance that will keep them with a mate. And so I'll give you an example. My last relationship, I brought up the idea that I wanted to have my implants removed. And his response was, you're going to fix them, right? And I'm like, fix them. I mean, like, would they be broken if I took these out? Like there was no feeling of safety and security there or support. Right. A possible making of that decision. And I didn't have them removed during that relationship. And as you know, I'm in, I, I'm now married to a very supportive man. And I remember sharing with him, look, I, I, I need to get these implants removed. I'm excited to. And he says, 
oh my gosh, I can't wait to see and feel your real breath. Yeah. And that alone just, you know, like regardless if he was okay with it or not, I think in my old relationship, I was still finding myself and I still needed that uh, acceptance. Yes. I'm now in a place where it's like, you don't like it? Well, I've learned to be the man and the woman of the family, but I feel really blessed that he uh, supported me the way he did. Well, you know, as a man, I'll share a couple things of my own experience. You know, men range wildly. Some men only see a woman's boobs. Some see their backside. Uh, Some see their eyes. I've seen men that, you know, have a fetish for almost any part of a woman and and aren't aren't so worried about the rest of it from toes to hands to eyes to boobs to butts to well you know you don't see the vagina unless she's undressed but um myself i've always been more attracted to i'm trying to find a word for it i would say it's the essence of a woman um, you, you know, I've, I've, my first wife didn't have big boobs. I've had girlfriends with quite big boobs and I've had girlfriends with almost no boobs. But for me, what it is, is like one, is she intelligent? Can I have a conversation with her about things that are meaningful and important to me and to life? I watch how a woman moves because I'm very kinesthetically aware and I sense if there's blockages in her, it brings my attention there and I start putting my awareness to what I'm feeling. And so that tends to alert me. But even as a young man, I I was always interested in women that had power, that had uh, mystique to them, that had depth to them. And if I, for example, had an opportunity to connect to a woman that was maybe a 6 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10 on the imaginary beauty scale, but she was a great package, I was far more inclined than some bombshell who just was kind of like the blonde jokes, you know. Um, but that that's me. Now, the other thing – as you know, I have uh, I the kind of men I hang out with are highly intelligent men. I you you won't find morons in my sphere of existence. Not not to be critical, I'll just say I'll take the word moron and say undeveloped men, little boys. Um, but a number of my very intelligent friends. One of my one of my buddies is a super, super smart guy. He's probably got 30 or 40 or 50 patents and he's just one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. But I remember one time he said to me, you know, I've seen a pattern whenever I'm with women that have implants, they're almost always trouble when it comes to getting into a deep emotional relationship. There's, there seems, there seems to be some sort of insecurity in them. Now, of course I can't represent all women, but in my experience of of women that had boob jobs that I had relationships with, I found that there was very commonly something that they were very insecure about and the boobs were um, some means of trying to cover that up. I, I, 
I, I can just, I'm speaking in broad strokes. And that's not that I became anti-boob because I was always package. And, but it did after those experiences with women that had implants and me kind of having the knowledge I have and seeing what kind of things came out as the relationship got deeper, you know, when you first get into a relationship, it's all gaga, you're sex drunk, you're love drunk, and you don't even know who you're being intimate with. But within about a year, you, the, the Pandora's box opens and you start seeing who you're really with. And I'm sure they would say the same thing, but I, uh, I did notice a pattern and I, I, there was times, for example, when I was single after my first marriage uh, ended and I was traveling around the world lecturing and I would invite girlfriends that were stunningly beautiful with me. And um, there's been a, a few times where I, I was really shocked because women would you know, approach me after a lecture, give me their hotel number, room number, offer me to come make love or grab me by the butt. And some of these girls would absolutely implode. And I would say to them, look, I brought you here with me. I'm in a relationship with you. This Just because a woman's showing affection to me doesn't mean that I'm in love with them or that I want to be with them sexually. But I started seeing this pattern that a, a, a lot of the girls that had made themselves more beautiful with implants – were actually extremely insecure relative to the experiences I'd had with women that didn't have implants. So now I can only speak from my own experience and some of my more intelligent male friends, but you know, this is why I'm asking you. It's like, do, well, th there's a good question there. Do you feel that women who have maybe deeper unresolved emotional issues are somehow trying to medicate themselves or I don't know how to describe it, but, but somehow using the boobs to think that maybe those things will go away. Well, from a personal perspective, I, you know, as a young dancer, having that perfect 20 year old body, I, I never needed anything. But coming back and after doing all of that work to get fit and then taking my clothes off on a full stage of men and, and having some of the younger, probably I'd say less experienced boys that mm -hmm. don't know what a woman is, uh, snicker or whisper because my breasts were saggier. Right. That was, that was heartbreaking. It was very, very hard. And, um, there was a piece of me that would say, well, I don't, I don't care what those people think. You know, they're not at the end of the day, they don't tuck me into bed. They don't kiss me. And, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately I was in a position where it wasn't just whether they liked me or not that mattered, but it was my livelihood. Right. And so going back to that concept that we're trying to, uh, I think it's where women who feel like they need a man to biologically survive on a cellular level, that we equate that mate as being our success. Like we have fulfilled our purpose here on earth. 
you know, this is this very subconscious purpose. You know, there could be a lot of women out there listening, thinking, I don't care. But on a cellular level, our cells do care. Well, they're not pregnant yet. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, there was a a huge shift in in my confidence uh, coming onto stage. And, uh, you know, a really funny, interesting story. The first day I came out with them, I come walking on a stage with my new outfit and my new dress. And this guy comes up and he'd never tipped me more than a dollar or two. And he laid a 50 on my stage. And he's like, there is just something about you today. You just seem so beautiful and on top of it. And then the next song came up and he came up with a 20 and an apology and a very red face. He's like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I didn't realize you, you, you got boobs. They're really beautiful. Yeah. Moment right then. (laughs) I had just made $68 more from a man who had never given me more than a dollar or two. And I had realized that my investment was going to pay off. Well, you know, from your training with me that the, uh, the breast area creates a vesica Pisces just as the pelvic girdle does. So there's definitely an archetypal attractor there. And as you were talking I also had the thought pass through my mind that because women are very aware that breasts are attractive to men as a general theme, that if a woman needs to increase her options for finding and selecting a mate that she feels is suitable to go the distance and nurture her desire to bring life onto the planet and mother and do the hard work of parenting, then if I was a woman and I looked at it from the feminine perspective, I could see, yeah, well, you know, if, if, um, if I was a woman and, and I, I realized that having bigger or more beautiful boobs would, you know, double my chances of selecting a more powerful, capable man, then I probably would seriously consider it, I I think, if I was a woman. But uh, I also think maybe that women that have had challenging times in relationships with men maybe feel that they have to up the ante so that their um, volume of opportunities is better. I'm just um, imagining uh, using my kind of imagination to say what it would be like but uh, there's definitely an archetypal attractor in the in the breast in the pelvic girdle and in the body itself as you know and and just on a side note one of the things that i have noticed is the type of man that you begin to attract when you all of a sudden create a bigger chest and that hotness i call them second chakra lovers yeah. <laughs> and and they're loving from their pelvis. Yeah. And most of them don't have staying power and most of them haven't done the spiritual work and the uh, emotional work to be the kind of man that would support a woman and children. Well, I, I tend to feel that that's probably true. Um, if I just look at the men that I know that are really love women with boob jobs or or I've seen many of them over the years convince their women to get boob jobs. Um they 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 fit the category of 
I'm your partner as long as you do exactly what I want you to do when I want you to do it and you make my life completely easy and I don't have to carry the responsibility of being a man and oh by the way if you get pregnant um, you're on your own <laughs> but, yeah it definitely uh, changed the the type of man that wanted to interact with me for sure when did uh, breast pant? Excuse me. When did breast implants begin to be used, and how have they changed over the years? If you have any um, knowledge of that history, so I know that they first came on the scene in the late fifties, early sixties, and wow. at that time they were like putting literally spongy material in the chests of women. Wow! There's a great like comedy drama show called breast men that came out in the nineties that kind of is built around the story of the first implants. Really interesting one to watch in 1962. We see the first silicone implants and it literally took 14 years after that for the FDA to begin regulation. Wow. Because that, because it took that long for enough problems to compile, to make them realize they had to watch it. Yeah. And, uh, so in 1983, they placed them into a more rigorous class three category of medical devices uh, because of the adverse effects that were constantly being reported. And on that note, I just like want to tell people there's a great movie out there on Netflix right now called The Bleeding Edge. So if you think that, oh, it's a class three, I'm safe. The Bleeding Edge is all about medical implants and the way that they have uh, downplayed the class three medical device um, laws that have been in place to help the people. They're, they're not safe anymore. And not just with like breast implants, but we're looking at like hip implants and a lot of other things. So um, in the early nineties uh, lawsuits against silicone implants that were being won and forced the DNA or the FDA to take them off the market. And in 2006, that ban was lifted. And that's when I went and got my silicone implants was when they were just coming back on the scene. They were supposed to be safe. You know, they'd taken them down. They'd done enough research and studying that you could get them now and it would be fine. And they felt more like real breasts. Um, in 2010, breast implants became the number one performed plastic surgery with over 300,000 women getting them per year and 62% of those being silicone. And I want to note, like a lot of people think, oh, well, if it's saline, I'm safe. Yes, but I was going to I was gonna actually make that point because the number of women that have approached me as a therapist and said, Paul, I'm thinking about getting breast implants. What do you think? And I say, well, you know, they're very toxic to your body. I've worked with many cases of women getting silicone poisoning and having serious health. And they, oh, no, these are saline. I say, well, what do you think is holding the saline in? <laughs> <laughs> and it's really crazy when you start seeing the videos of 11-year-old saline implants being pulled out because they actually fill those up while they're in your chest. So they, they put the empty bag in your chest and they fill it. And that little valve allows for microtoxins to get in. And a lot of these saline implants they're pulling out are filled with fungus and mold. That's gnarly. It's gnarly and it's not being reported or collected as medical data. Women have had to uh, unite with social media 
and begin to report their stories and, and gather this information on their own. They recently presented their information to the FDA and they are going to be having a hearing on implants. And as soon as they presented their information to the FDA, you could no longer find their social media page. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, there's two things that that triggers in me. I recently, I'd say two years ago now, one of my Czech and HLC students uh, who at the time had two children, she had implants that she'd had before she got pregnant. And I hadn't talked to her in a while. She's a HLC three. So she'd finished her training a couple of years before I got this emergency call. But one day I'm sitting here at work and all of a sudden my assistant says, I don't want to say your name, but um, so-and-so is on the phone and she's in the hospital and she's close to dying and she needs to speak to you right away. So, um, I got on the line with her and then we were able to get her to use her phone to Skype me because her, her mother and her couple of family members were there, but she was in critical care. And so I had her up on Skype and I started asking her, what are her symptoms? And, and there were all symptoms I'd run into with women who had uh, toxicity from breast implants. And I said, you need to have them test you for silicone poisoning immediately and any other. I said, have them do an environmental panel toxicity uh, evaluation on you, look for heavy metals, but you have some kind of toxicity issue going on. And uh, many of the symptoms you're describing I've seen before in women that ultimately had to get their implants removed. So she immediately called in her doctor and said, you know, what I had just said, and he refused to get her tested. So she then tried to get, she then had a couple of different doctors. Each of them refused. Not one single doctor would run the test. And they all told her that that was a bunch of garbage. The implants cannot poison your body. And so she was really stuck. So she got back to me and said, Paul, I am having a problem here none of these doctors will get me tested. It's clear to me that they're protecting each other from some kind of malpractice insurance or they don't want women knowing that these boob implants might be toxic or what have you. She said, I don't know what I can do. I can't get out of the hospital. I mean, she, she's literally in a critical care unit with you know wires and tubes and she's very sick. And so spirit guided me to do a healing on her. So I, I worked right through Skype and, and, and did some shamanic healing on her, which thank the, thank the Lord. Thank you. Great spirit. It, believe it or not, she was able to get up out of bed one hour after I did that work on her, get dressed, pack her bag, drive home, she said she felt significantly better. She went and found a doctor that would test her. And sure enough, she was just loaded with toxins. She got her boobs out, I think, within about five or six days of leaving the hospital. And within two weeks, having done nothing else, because she's a, you know, like you, a well-trained holistic lifestyle coach. So she was 
eating well, living well. It wasn't like an unhealthy girl. Um, she was not only was she almost perfectly back to normal, what, unannounced to me, she showed up at one of my Zen in the Garden workshops two and a half weeks after the day I did the healing on her and was lifting rocks and building significantly sized rock stacks and hanging out with people like nothing had ever happened. And it was a, a mind-blowing uh, experience and transformation to watch her go through this process. And that's one of, I would imagine she's about the 25th case in my career that I've seen go through this process. One of the things that I wanted to share with you is an observation that I've made having worked with so many, and I've been a consultant to, you know, countless other therapists and, and trainers and coaches and doctors who are running into these kinds of problems and don't know what's going on and ask my opinion. So uh, I don't know what the number would be if you included on my consultations, but I started to notice fairly quickly that the women that were having problems with toxicity issues or silicone poisoning seemed to start having them around the fifth year of having the implants. Have you noticed any correlation between how long the implants are in before the body starts reacting? Um, not personally. I would say I've noticed a correlation with the story that you told how thousands of women are reporting, you know, inflammation going down the next day and weeks later, all of their symptoms being completely eradicated. Now, my personal story, my first set of implants um, were great. I didn't have any issues, but within a year, because I used my upper body strength so much, my pec had pushed my right implant up into my armpit. Wow. I had to get a surgery to bring my right breast down and it worked, but because I owned a pole dancing studio and I had to lift my body weight several times a day, I began using my left hand more than my right. And lo and behold, within a year, my left implant was pushed up into my armpit. So going in for my third surgery in like two years, they opened me up. And uh, when I came out of surgery, they said, well, your implant had ruptured. So we just gave you a new one. They're under, you know, warranty. So you don't have to pay for it. And that's when my problems began. So for me, it was that third year, third surgery, I didn't know what was wrong. And to be honest with you, Paul, I didn't even correlate it to the implant rupturing until just last year as I started studying what implants can do. I wanted to avoid that information while they were in me, not to create. I knew I was going to get them out. I just didn't want to create a fear-based mentality while they were in. A nocebo effect? A nocebo effect, yeah. So... uh I began to get really, really cold. In fact, I was wearing my snow pants in the middle of summer. And when I went to have my thyroid tested, because that's what the symptoms said, it looked like I might be having thyroid issues, according to Google doctor, <laughs> Dr. Google. And the doctor said, you know, after a good investment of money and tests, look, your thyroid is, it's, it's borderline, nowhere where we'd give you supplements or, or any kind of uh, medication to work with it. Then I went out to learn at HLC2. And in the Holistic Lifestyle Coach class, we did an HAQ, a health appraisal questionnaire. 
And in that process, not only did my adrenals show up red, but my thyroid showed up red and my adrenal or my liver did. And I moved through all of the cleansing and protocols that an HLC2 check professional would recommend for healing these imbalances in the body. And I was able to reverse all of the symptoms of thyroid and adrenal, and I didn't have to think about it again until, like I said, just last year when I started studying the ill effects of silicone poisoning. Right. I don't know about the fifth year. I, I've done some research on like who and why some women get toxic uh, symptoms and others are like, no, I'm just fine. Nothing's happened. But um, mine, mine after 11 years were intact, luckily. And I didn't really have a lot of breast implant uh, symptoms when I, well, no, my, my digestion started to uh, go off and, and I knew it was time to get them out. Yeah. Well, you triggered me. I, I remembered a part of the story I left out with my client that was in the hospital when they told her they would not test her. I said, here's what I want you to do. Cause she had her phone there. I said, do you know the manufacturer's name and the model number of your implants? She said, yes, I do. It's in my phone or in her she had it in her phone, I believe, or she just knew it. I said, search women with, and then the name and the model number of the implant having the following symptoms and start searching uh, one or two symptoms at a time. So the search isn't so complex that you bring up a billion websites on other things. She said she found thousands of women reporting the same types of symptoms she was having exactly with the uh, implants that she was having and saying that when they got them out, the symptoms all went away. And she did that search from the hospital bed. And and that was right before I did the healing work. She contacted me and said, this is what I found. I'm stuck. I don't have the energy to get out of here. What do I do? And I said, well, let me see what I can do and I'll ask spirit for help. And it was uh, it was actually one of the wildest healing experiences I've ever had as a medicine man, spirit guide, therapist, whatever you want to call me. But uh, it uh, certainly reassured me that spirit does get involved when all parties are ready. Yeah, beautiful. So, um, you know, we we've talked about. how you changed as a person getting your implants and why you got them. Um, and you know, all the things related to that, what I now having worked with a number of women that have got them out over the years, I've heard some very interesting comments about the changes that they've went through when they took them out, not only physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. I'd love to hear, and I think for women listening that might be afraid to get them out for a a variety of reasons, can you share what experience you've had in yourself uh, personally and uh, spiritually, if you will, uh, now that you're free of the implants? Well, hugs are so much more deep and better. <laughs> I uh, I can I can bring myself chest to chest with people, and I think that it's not just that the silicone's in the way, but that my heart and my breath and my voice 
are all more open. I've been told that my voice has changed dramatically when I sing. And I think it's a very humbling experience because it's not like you don't know who this person is. You were this person for however many years before you got the implants. Um, you know, there's seasons of a woman, the child, the maiden, the mother. I think a lot of us avoid those, those later seasons of the mother and the crone. They're not respected as much in our society. And I, I'm so grateful to be able to retire that, that hotness, that needing to appear and show up as a certain uh, sexually honored figure of a female and yet still feel attractive to still feel sexual and to still feel beautiful. And I think I'm feeling it on an even deeper level, a, a less superficial outer level and, and really falling in love with myself in, in a new way where I get to accept the imperfectness and yet feel perfect at the same time. And I think that's a really important place to get to when it's time for any woman to look at, you know, do, do I need these? Are they serving me? Are they making me sick? Um, you know, who, who am I doing this for? Because when we're really loving ourselves, it doesn't matter what the appearance is. And I think that that's where it's taken me is on like a very deep journey of self-love. Well, it seems to me that uh, your, your evolution, which has included these experiences, brought you to a deeper awareness that who you are as soul is a, a, a conscious being that is in possession of a body, but is not the body itself. And I think our culture lacks the spiritual guidance and the wisdom of the elders to help women um, usher into that realization, just like we have a sea of young men that haven't grown up and aren't men. And, and even, you know, 50, 60, 70 year old men are still, you know, going out and getting surgeries to make their pecs stick up or get a Swedish penis enlarger. Um, so it, it seems, I mean, that's my observation as a therapist would be that my interpretation of that would be that you've reached contact at a deeper level with soul and have come to the inner realization that you're far more than your body. Oh, <laughs> You, you know, you what you said earlier, it was interesting because you talked about the stages of a woman. One, I, one of the things that, that I see that is the female correlate of a man trying to avoid the realities of a midlife crisis or realizing that he's getting older and his dick doesn't work quite the same as it did when he was 20, is I see a lot of the women in the crone stage going out and getting boob jobs and, and uh, Botox and f uh, lip jobs and eye jobs and face jobs. And it really seems that women are having uh, – there's there's a lot of women that should be in the, the wise woman stage, the crone stage, that are also 
spending a huge amount of money at great risk to their health to try to maintain their hotness, but they're like 65 years of age or 60 and 70 years of age. Have you got any comments on that? Well, it's, you know, I think to each their own. And if there's like one thing, like if you could just change one thing, would that cultivate the feeling of beauty in a crone? Like that I'm not opposed to, but the women that are going and facelifting and lasering their vaginas and, and all of the steps that they have to take to maintain a youth, a maiden appearance versus, um, you know, that, that accepting of who you are as you are is, is, uh, is a good representation of where we are spiritually as a culture. Well, it's, it's really, I would say, a psychological expression of scientific materialism and believing that who you are is really your, your body, the matter that you're made of, and that it seems to me that they're sculpting. It's almost as though they're their own sculptor and they're they're just cutting and shaping like a sculptor works with clay. But as a guy who does a lot of spiritual counseling, to me that equates to somebody who's identified as the body encapsulated ego and doesn't realize that I think nature built in this natural uh, uh, you know, de dehotifying, uh, so that boobs drop, skin wrinkles, and age does its thing to usher in an invitation to an awareness of ourselves as spiritual beings. And I, I think it's a combination of the religious ideologies and the scientific materialist idea that we're nothing but a body, and there's nothing left after death that's avoiding, that's causing people to avoid uh, exploration of legitimate spiritual teachings and doing things like learning to meditate and express themselves creatively so that they can identify themselves in flow states. For example, dancing, singing, painting, playing, um, most any type of creativity where a person um, loses their sense of body identification. I know, for example, when I'm painting, there's lots of times where I, I don't even have an identity. I'm literally just, I'm, 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 it's as though the art spirit enters me and I live in the color. I live in the stroke. I live in the shape. I live in the experience and then all of a sudden I feel my body getting hungry and then realize wow I've been sitting here painting for six hours mm -hmm. and so you know when we have such a money driven uh, aesthetically driven culture that also has a lot of religious ideology that has left people thinking that you know God's this uh prick of an old man in the sky who's keeping track of all your so-called sins and every time you touched your genitals or played with a vibrator or god forbid had sex with the same sex or all these issues that it leaves very little breathing room because a person 
I mean, who wants to cuddle up to that kind of God? So I think when we look at all these things together, it, it, it really, I think, is leading our culture to a spiritual crisis because when you look at the statistics on, on the aging population and the percentage of the people in our population that are over 50 relative to under 50, it's getting top heavy. Um, so pretty soon we're going to have uh, a, a very – um, a very much older population due to the way that it's panned out and the birth rates and things like that. But what concerns me is we're losing because of we've lost our, our a grounded spiritual development and our connection to nature and our connection to the phases of life, which include birth, childhood, uh, adulthood, um, a mature uh, you know, older adult turning into, you know, someone whose body is letting go and the wisdom of each of those stages. It's, it's sad for me to see that both in the men and the women, the, the younger people don't really have much guidance. They don't, you know, the examples that they're getting are cut it, shape it and forget about it. They are. The good news is, though, is on the other end of that, once the woman has the nails, the hair, the car, the boobs, the nose, the flat stomach, or even the man, once those women arrive at that place and still feel empty, yes. we begin to spend less time on the body and more time getting to know the soul that fills the shell. And, yeah. and hopefully, you know, society can do that before their 50s and 60s. <laughs> Well, I think I think there's there's definitely some out there doing that. I have met and worked with uh I've had clients that are, you know, 65, 70 that have the boob jobs, have the lip jobs, you know, they're very good-looking old women, but they have reached the point where they realize that they're still unfulfilled and then come to me uh to help fill the emptiness, which is when I open the door to spiritual practices. And that's really exciting for me, but it seems that it's um, it's a small number of, of of if you looked at all of them out there, I would say it's probably I'm just guessing two three percent of them. Yeah, and you know that has to do with the media and and just where uh, information is being received from. Where it's scary. The internet used to be a place where we could go find decent information, and now it's just inundated with advertising yes it is it's uh it's the uh oh the internet's become a corporate whore yeah and we can all buy our way to happiness and they'll show us how <laughs> and, and 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 i mean whore in both senses of the word like horror movie and whore <laughs> it, 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 just like government we don't have government anymore we just have a corporate headquarters that is far less concerned about the people and more concerned about making truckloads of money. But yeah. uh, one of the uh, questions I wanted to ask you is, are there things you feel women should consider before opting for breast implants, such as, for example, athletic women? Uh, also, there's a lot of young females getting implants today. And I've seen them as young as 16 years of age. So do you have any feelings about breast implants for young girls, such as precautions or comments the mothers uh, might want to hear now before they 
opt for this because I, I find it disconcerting as a therapist and a person who studies spiritual development, human development, all things about life. Because I, what I see is young girls literally going into, I've had women tell me that their daughters were like manic about having to have boobs. And they reached the point where the, they felt it was easier just to get them boobs and to listen to them go off all the time. So these are some real issues. So to summarize the question, for women that are considering boobs, be they athletes, young women, etc., what kind of advice might you have for them to help them make better considerations or are there tips for better boobs or less less dangerous options? Okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my first tip would be to be fully informed. You go to the plastic surgeon's office, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And a lot of what is being published that you need to know aren't, is not being offered at the surgeon's office. And it's not being offered in the first 10 articles you find on Google. They're controlling that information too. I think a great place to go is breastimplantillness.com. Mm-hmm, good. There's a lot of resources and studies. And there's also a Facebook group, um, if you can get to it, called Breast Implant Illness by Nicole. Oh, I wish, not, that... not me, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, there's 68,000 women strong on there as a tribe supporting each other, sharing their stories and collecting the information. And I think that... Uh, once you've been informed of all of the risks that you might be taking and you still want to take that risk, some things that I would recommend is maybe getting tested for the Merther gene and finding out if you can detox easily. What's the gene? The Merther MRTHR gene. It's like whether you methylate or not. Uh, Uh. They've done some studies independent through the Facebook group of like how many women tested positive for this gene and how many of them have breast and implant illness and the percentage of women with the illness, it was something like 65% that tested positive that have been tested. Uh, so, you know, knowing that your body can detox easily. Uh, the next question I would have a woman ask herself is, can you afford and are you willing to go under the knife every 10 to 15 years? Because you're supposed to replace them that often. Yeah, that's if you're lucky, because I know my my ex-wife, Sue, had three surgeries within the span of just a few years because of them popping. Yeah, um, and and she, she's not a wrestler or a kickboxer. She's an endurance athlete, a yogi, uh, and a weightlifter. Um, so the other thing I wanted to say, well, it's, well, I have a chance here. When I was researching this and working with women that had all these problems of toxicity, one of the things that kept coming up in all the literature, I was not studying on Google. That was before all that was happening. I was doing literature searches and hiring professional librarians to research all over the world for me. But one of the things that popped up over and over again was the importance of uh, having high levels of antioxidants in the diet. So A, C, E, selenium. But one of the antioxidants that I've found to be wickedly powerful, you know, I used to have that spot on my uh, right on the left side of my nose from vaporizing. Yeah. Angie uh, 
intuitively sense that maybe I should use glutathione because it's a very powerful antioxidant. Within two weeks of taking 250, I think it's milligrams of glutathione a day, the spot completely disappeared. And prior to that, I would have to stop vaporizing and take a good couple of saunas, sometimes two saunas a day, put like an hour a day into the sauna. And then I could fade it out within about, oh, three to five days down to a watermark, but I could never get rid of it. But I'm enjoying my vaporizing as much as I ever did. And the glutathione is making a huge difference. And I also noticed uh, I had like a little type of cataract or something that had developed on my eye. And now that I've been taking the glutathione, that thing's almost gone. So nice. for, yeah, so for women that want antioxidant support, I would highly recommend looking into glutathione. I use it regularly myself. Right on. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of nutritional support that you can do food and, and supplement wise. Some other questions that I would recommend is, you know, asking yourself, do I plan on having a child in the future? Do I want to breastfeed in the future? Yes. Uh, Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and they can't guarantee that. And that's right in the paperwork when you sign to get the implants that you're okay if it doesn't work. You won't sue anybody. Um, I would ask women if they like to sleep on their belly because that, you know, one of the parts of my story that I didn't share and how I got into the whole holistic industry is about two and a half years after I had my implants, I broke my spine. I had spondyloacesis that comes from hyperflexibility, but I couldn't lay on my belly anymore. I was literally a teeter-totter in my chest and it would slide my vertebrae that was broken forward every time I did. Yeah. Another thing I would recommend is to stuff your bra, like literally Go and put socks in it and go and try every shirt that you like on. You know, I had to change my whole wardrobe out because what works with a natural breast <laughs> does not work with implants. And, you know, most shirts ended up either looking like I was ready to go street walking or that I was wearing a pair of curtains over my chest. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so glad to get back to some normal clothes. So I, I would say, like, you know, even borrow some implants from the surgeon's office. See if they'll let you take them for a test run and try some clothes on. Uh, as far as athletes go, I would ask if they like using their pecs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> do you like your pecs? Yeah, because like for me, after that third surgery, I had to close down my pole dancing studio. Um, I couldn't teach it. I had to just choose to literally stop pressing, stop flies, stop push-ups because I didn't want to push my breasts. You know, after they went into my armpits and they brought them down with those two surgeries, they, they tacked them so they wouldn't go further into my armpits. But now when I use my pecs, they would squish out to the sides of my ribs. Yeah. And I just had to make the decision, okay, I'm not going to use my upper chest strength because um, these are, you know, right now I'm, I'm creating, you know, an education and a business with the money I'm making from these breasts. And then um, as far as the mothers go, I would say that, you know, research says that 
boobs don't stop growing until you're 18. And some sources say even 23 years old. Yep. And as a mother, if my daughter wants to make a permanent change to her body that requires my signature, I would want to understand the why first. Yes. I wouldn't say never say never. I know as a, as a Czech practitioner, like when we put a piercing in our body, it can create an electrical current through that piece of metal. And my daughter desperately wanted a nose ring. And right. I utilized it as an opportunity to get what I think that I felt she needed at that time. Like, okay, here she is. She's got a dream. She wants a nose ring. So I put some stipulations in place that she had to work through to get that nose ring that I felt would help develop her as an adult. And she followed through with them. And I also let, let her get the nose ring and yeah. uh, also made sure she understood the importance of why I didn't want her to have it. And she doesn't have it anymore. She chose to take it out. So, you know, for a daughter who is, you know, hyperventilating because she needs breasts, that's a great opportunity to put her in front of a Czech practitioner for a year. <laughs> yes. And, you know, if she does it and she really irons her self-worth out and gets the posture strong in a way that it would support those breasts and, you know, now she's a year older and probably a whole hell of a lot wiser, then, you know, you could utilize that as an opportunity. I don't know if I'd ever let my daughter get breast implants, but, um, but that's how I see it. I, if it requires my signature, then either they need to grow up to the point where they can sign for it themselves. If I feel like it's so toxic that I don't want it, or I use it as an opportunity to uh, create bettering themselves with a dream. That, that's great. You've popped uh, a few comments and questions up. If I could share um, one, uh, while I was owning a rehabilitation clinic and working in them, I had several cases where women came to me, often between about 20 and 35, mostly the younger women wanting to get breast implants. And just because of their awareness of me or their mother or father was seeing me as a patient and the parents said, you really ought to talk to Paul Check about this first – and I said to all of them, and every one of them had poor posture, forward head posture, round shoulders, sway back, the kind of standard uh, poor posture from sitting in desks and not you know, having a proper exercise program. And I explained to them how the pectoral fascia holds the breast and put them in good posture and showed them, look how much better your boobs look when you just stand up properly. And I said, why don't you let me give you three months of conditioning get your posture right. And then if you're still not happy with your boobs, then reconsider. And of probably the six to 10 women over the years that, that um, opted for that, only one of them ended up saying, I still want to get the boobs. And the rest of them were happy with how their boobs look because people don't realize until you actually do get your body balanced and learn how to stand and move properly, um, Poor posture can can make for unattractive anything. I mean, energetically, it's even unattractive because, you know, the body is like a musical instrument. And when your posture is poor, you're like a musical instrument that's very out of tune. And no matter how good of a musician you are, you still make music that's out of tune with an out of tune instrument. So, and I said that all the time. I'm like, I wish I would have found check before I put these implants in. I know that my breasts look better right now 
than they did prior to having my daughter. Just switching my thoracic kyphosis, you know, your your nipples do not have to look at the ground. <laughs> no, yes, that's 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 a common thing that women face after giving birth, as you know. And again, a lot of them, you know, used to be exercisers before they had a child. But then they get so busy taking care of kids, then next thing you know, they're working and somehow exercise leaves their life, but they get naked and don't like what they see. So their first option is, oh, I got to get a, a, a boob job so that I like the way I look. But most of them haven't properly used exercise. And as you know, there's a science to properly designing an exercise program and there's a lot of skill to teaching people how to move. You can have fit people that are still very out of alignment and very sick. I call them, as you know, fit sick people. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot. Uh, and that's really what I – this is the kind of thing I wanted to share in the podcast because this is a real issue out there. And there's a lot of options for women to explore before they choose an invasive option. Uh, two more questions. One's a comment. Uh, in, in my experience of uh, enjoying women, uh, I've, I've had a couple of experiences with women that were very fit, strong women with boob implants, breast implants, and the sex could get pretty intense and physical. And there's times I was like asking these girls, are you sure that we're not going to explode one of these implants? And they all said, yeah, you'll be fine, whatever, you know, to go for it. But there was times where like, you know, you know, healthy people can get into some pretty gymnastic sexual practices. And, <laughs> and, and I've been there and um, uh, they none of them popped, but it certainly made me nervous because I'm like, oh, my God, the last thing I want to do is explode a boob while I'm having sex with a girl. Um, I wonder if anybody's blown boobs up just with physical sex. Uh, my girlfriend taught her mom how to do the worm. It's an old, um, break dancing move where you go from your legs and you roll out to your chest and pop back up. And when she did the worm, both of her implants exploded in her chest. Wow. Well, that's about this. I, I, I've seen that move before and that that's not far off from having, you know, Think about it. Some guys can be twice as heavy as a girl mm -hmm. that they're making love to. I mean, I, I remember I had a girlfriend that was like four foot 11, a little beautiful Mongolian girl, but she was like a little pocket rocket. I could literally pick her up like a little child and put her over my head. But you get a girl like that with implants. I'm at that time, like 180 pounds. And I'm not even a big guy. I've seen little women like that with six foot four, 220 pound guys. I can just visualize these things just exploding like balloons. Uh, so that's something that I've always, you know, had this concern about because I've never heard people talk about it. But I think it's it's a realistic concern because, look, if, I've known many women to blow their boobs up doing bench press exercises. And if you can do that with what a woman can bench press typically, which might, you know, for most girls, it's not going to be more than 135 pounds, but you get a great big guy on there and you get rocking and rolling in the passions of sex. It, it could be a problem. Uh, the other question I had is, uh, and this is, I think, important. Ha have you got any knowledge as to whether women that get pregnant and breastfeed who have implants, 
what's the risk of uh, toxicity getting into the milk? You know, I can't speak to that with any definitive knowledge, but from what I understand, they are testing breast milk positive for, you know, the same stuff that's found in the silicone shell. Yeah. Crazy what it's made out of. There, there's aluminum and platinum and heavy metals and just all sorts of uh, different things. I wish I, I had more detailed information, but I'm sure it's just a Google search away. So, uh, these must be binding agents or something in the in the silicone material. Yeah, yeah. There's the uh, you know you can look up images as far as what's in the silicone implant, and the list is two pages long. That's some crazy shit. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole story of why I finally hit the final straw to pull them out. I was uh, in a communal setting and I was going to stir some soup and somebody had left a plastic spatula out. And I know that plastic's an endocrine disruptor. I don't want to put it into hot soup. I don't want phytoestrogens in my food. And I went to go find a wooden spoon. And as I went to put the wooden spoon in the soup, I heard in my head that uh, I was a hypocrite because <laughs> here I had these plastic spoons in my chest, my warm, heart-beating chest. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was the final straw. I made the appointment to uh, consult to get them out. Well, it's see, it's clear to me from the conversation and hopefully people listening that there's a real – process of spiritual evolution tied to all the body, mind, emotions uh, related to this. There's a, just as you said, with your own journey, there's a, there's a maturation process. There's a, a growing up, there's a reaching deeper beyond just the, the sex appeal to the depth of who am I really? And what, what is really, you know, like, it, it begs the question, what, what is real beauty? And typically in nature, when we see beauty, it's got something to do with symmetry. And I know we were talking earlier and I was mentioning what I find attractive in a woman and it's not a fixation on one, any one body part, but it's a symmetrical woman. But not only physically symmetrical, but emotionally well-rounded and mentally well-rounded. Mm. And I think, I think from the conversations I've had with several women that have gone through the process like you have, because many of my female students have gone through this process all over the world, that they actually become conscious of a deeper symmetry than the physical symmetry they were creating. And that symmetry only emerges as the, shall we say, the... Um, the body encapsulated ego reaches deeper into itself to find soul. And then they see themselves as a spiritual being having a human experience as opposed to a, a body trying to navigate the challenges of life, world, and the mirror. Yeah, you're so good with words. That's, that's just truth right there. Are there any tips for choosing a plastic surgeon or any specific type of implement that, uh, implant that you think uh, is more favorable than the other types? Well, after going through and knowing what I know, I don't think I would suggest implants. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not opposed to them, 
but I don't feel confident as, as a holistic practitioner knowing what I know to recommend any implant. Now, there is a procedure that some surgeons are doing calling, they're offering fat transfers. And this is where they take some fat from your thighs or your stomach through liposuction and they inject it into the breast. Now, there's there's relatively new procedure and there are some side effects and dangers that have yet to be fully understood. But some of the things that you won't have to deal with is doing this every 10 to 15 years. As, as a practitioner, we know that toxins are stored in fat. So what they are finding is a couple of things is sometimes the body will reabsorb the fat um, and you've paid $10,000 to just reabsorb the fat. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes the fat clumps and creates cysts and becomes cancerous. Wow. So a lot of women are like who aren't ready to not have boobs but are tired of being sick and still want to have boobs are opting to remove the breasts and do a fat transfer. Uh, I would say that the few that I've talked to, I've had a lot of women reach out to me after I've really been open about this subject and after they've looked into it, have decided to wait five, ten more years to see what's going to happen with the fat transfer patients that are currently doing what they're doing. Yes. What are some key indicators that you can share that might be uh, something women should be aware of if they have implants that could suggest they are having problems? Certainly, I could rattle off a long list, but I would love to hear them from you. So In other words, a woman... A woman's got boobs and maybe she's having this or that symptom. What if there's like the top 10 things that you would say, if this is happening to you and you've had your boobs for a few years or more, consider getting tested. Or even a year. You know, there's some women yeah. that right off have symptoms. So uh, any kind of thyroid symptoms, hypo or hyper adrenal symptoms, any diagnosis of fibromyalgia or Lyme's disease. The list literally is pages long, and you can look it up uh, online. And uh, I would say fatigue, inflammation. Uh, there's things like shortness of breath, ringing in ears, metallic taste in the mouth, night sweats. I had that. Um, hormonal imbalances. Um, so reoccurring sinus, yeast, UTI infections, chronic inflammation. <laughs> One of the symptoms I found on the internet is you feel like you are dying. That is a symptom of breast implant illness. <laughs> well, that that's exactly what the girl that was in the hospital had. I mean, she she really and and she was in critical care. She was dying, and the the doctors were saying we don't know what's wrong with you. And the thing was, is they kept testing her, but all the tests came up negative. They said to us, "This is a mystery because." Your tests show you're you're quite healthy. Now, of course, they're testing within their own paradigm. And uh, but she did say to me, Paul, I feel like I'm dying. And and I think that her sense of feeling like she was dying is something that happened well before she got into the hospital and she couldn't explain it. So uh, I think that's real. Uh, to add to that, one of the things I've seen fairly consistent is women get headaches that they can't explain. Yeah, dizziness and migraines. Um, back pain. Uh, like you said, uh, I think you mentioned body aching. Um, I've seen a lot of digestive trouble. Smells. 
women won't smell normal. Their husbands don't want to be next to them because of the smell coming out of their armpits. <laughs> that yes, I, I've I've got experience of that as well. Um, rashes is another one that I've seen. Uh, unexplained rashes, often in the armpit and chest area. Um, you mentioned the adrenal fatigue, uh, muscle spasms that seem to just come and go for no reason. Uh, seizures. Uh, it's, you know, one of the, the things I'll highlight here, some of these things may not be the symptoms of the implants directly, but when you start messing with uh, detoxification capacity in the body or toxifying the body, or you start having negative effects on the adrenal and the thyroid, you're messing with the entire regulatory system of the body and the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis and the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis are two of the, the key regulatory systems that regulate not only hormone levels, but emotional experience and in, and our entire physiology. So, there's the because all the systems of the body are integrated you can't affect one system without a knock on effect on the other system and why i'm sharing this is because a lot of doctors flat out refuse that various types of symptoms presented to them could come from breast implants but what what they're doing is staying in this linear mechanistic typical medical model that thinks that you know your eyes are the domain of an eye doctor and your guts are the domain of a, uh, of a, uh, you know, a, an intro, uh, uh, Oh, I forgot the name of the gut doctors, gastroenterologist, uh, that orthopedic surgeons are the only one that works with joints. So they divided the body up into these zip codes and it's almost illegal to cross into another zip, zip code. And you see the same thing with chiropractors and physical therapists fighting over who can manipulate the spine and it's all this territorial stuff. So we're only now getting to the level where the, the emergence of psychoneuroimmunology, biopsychosocial medicine, and those types of branches of medicine are now starting to clearly scientifically validate the very strong interdependence of uh, body systems. So what I'm trying to point out is that a lot of women may not realize that the symptoms that they're having may be secondary to dysregulation of key sy systems in the body that are affecting all systems of the body. Well, and the sad part is, is they're going to be going to these doctors with different parts of their body and spending thousands of dollars trying to chase down something. And, and they'll be working with their thyroid symptoms and they'll be working with panic attacks and they'll be placed on an SSRI. And yes, and, and there's nothing that's really creating that other than I think that it's not just the implants, but literally the stress, like a surgical procedure is a large form of stress on the body. And, and a lot of these things are already in place to show up 10 years from now based on the habits of this woman. But now all of a sudden you put her under this large stress of a surgery and it shows up sooner because her body can't fight the imbalances. Well, yeah, there, you know, the number of women that are healthy going into the surgery, you know, from a, from a check practitioner's perspective is very, very few. Um, you know, I, I've worked with several high-level models that were, you know, 
anorexic, bulimic, starving, uh, doing all sorts of weird stuff with uh, various pills to suppress diet. And then they go get implants for, for the modeling purpose. And the next thing you know, their, their body just starts breaking down like crazy because they just pushed Humpty Dumpty right off the wall. Exactly. So I've seen women that have bad scarring, uh, big, I've had a couple of women that I worked with that had implants removed, but the implants, uh, had fused into the fascia and the muscle itself. So when they took the implants out, they had to actually cut out large chunks of chest muscle and they end up with gaping holes in their chest after having their implants removed. So for women who may be ready to have their implants uh, removed, do you have any wisdom to share with them so that they might get better results than these types of things? Are there things a woman can do to prepare or even if a woman has implants now and she might face the reality of having to get them removed three, five, ten years from now, are there suggestions that you would like to pass on to uh, minimize the damage of having them removed? Yeah, I would actually. So I think the first thing a woman needs to understand is every year that that foreign object is in her body, her body is building tissue around it and it's called a capsule. Yes. And every year the tissue that's underneath the new tissue that's being placed on it is beginning to rot because it no longer has fresh blood and oxygen feeding it. And these, this rotting tissue grows fungus, it grows mold, it's, it's really, really toxic. And so when a woman goes to get these removed or replaced, they don't really remove this capsule. They cut you open, they pull the bag out, hopefully intact, a lot of the times not, and sew you back up. And that capsule sitting in there with the rotting flesh, possibly the toxic leakage from whatever was in there, is now dispersing through your body. Your body's trying to heal it, to remove that, that fibrous tissue. And so what we're learning and what has been shared on these, these social media groups, Breast Implant Illness by Nicole, is that you want to have an end block procedure with a full capsulectomy. And what this means is instead of just cutting a slit and pulling the implant out, they cut a little bit larger of a slit and they cut the tissue that's holding the implant out with the implant. And then under video, they slice it open and they take some of the liquid that's inside to have it tested to see if there's any cancerous stuff you have to be worried about. And in order to do this without massive um, cavitation in the chest, you really want to have a skilled surgeon. And on the website, breast explant assistance, or I'm sorry, not breast, breastimplantillness.com, they have a list of surgeons by country, by state that have been recommended. That's great. It is. And, you know, it doesn't always mean that you probably – are going to be completely free of maybe it being adhered to your ribs. There may still be that chance, even if the surgeon is completely skilled and they're going to do their best. And a, a really smart surgeon will leave some of the cap capsule behind if it means like opening up your lungs or not. Right. Yeah. So 
another thing that I recommend is like getting as healthy as you can before and after surgery. I have a lot of people when I'm telling them to get ready to remove the mercury fillings, they want to wait till after to do a metal cleanse, but it's like, no, we actually want to be cleansing the body before the surgery so that when it happens, the body's more ready to, uh, heal itself. Yeah. It'll have more, uh, it'll have more capacity to adapt to the stress. If, uh, if the body's already loaded up with toxins and you release a bunch more into it, that, that, that's a uh, bad, bad news. In fact, uh, uh, one of my students who you actually may know, um, she's an HLC three practitioner. She, uh, was starting to have serious problems with her boobs. And when she got them taken out, she developed a very, very serious bacterial infection that damn near took her out. And she had to have, uh, she, she has big scars and she had to have tubes draining fluids that were leaking out of her for quite some time. And, and the infection almost wiped her out. So they're, yeah. you know, uh, choosing the right surgeon. But what my point is doing some good healing work and coming to somebody like yourself and learning how to eat properly, move properly, manage your four doctors, happiness, diet, quiet, and movement and really get your body ready because really it's almost like, um, you know, just like uh, men uh, that are competitive fighters have to train very hard to get ready for a fight. Uh, this is, this is a, a, a sort of a, like a shamanic uh, journey into a no man's land uh, or like being lost out in the woods with nothing to eat and having to survive uh, so learning survival skills really makes it a lot easier because you know what to eat and how to find water. But a person going in there for a major surgical procedure like that, that might not seem very bad, but could turn out to be a real nightmare who has no knowledge of and uh, how to manage themselves and how to create a healthy environment for themselves uh, could, could really just uh, blow the lid right off of Pandora's box. It can. It can. And, uh, you know, luckily that Facebook page, a lot of information's out there for women to prepare before and after. And they, they're there for each other. They're like this amazing tribe that if you have any question, you put it on that page and hundreds of women come answering with their experiences. And that's what we have to go on right now is like personal experiences because they're not collecting this information medically. So on a, on a side note, some of the things that I received, which were really awesome and helped me is like, there's herbs that you can use to rebuild breast tissue, fennel Greek, Vitex, or some herbal supplements. Uh, infrared therapy can rebuild some tissue and help with scarring. Uh, collagen, eating foods high in vitamin E, like nuts and seeds, and using shea butter on the skin, which is also high in vitamin E. I found for me a really important healing factor because it started to get painful. I too had to wear the drains. Yes. Most uh, women will because you're creating a cavity in the body. The body will naturally want to fill it with fluids. So you have to wear drains for seven days after surgery or more, depending on how healthy. But I had lymph massage. Yes. And I did actually have one area in one of my breasts that was concave. 
and it was kind of scary. I'm like, oh no. And I got on that Facebook group and the women said, cupping, use, use silicone cups and use them daily. And so with oil and a cup, I would bring blood to the surface. And sure enough, my breast healed itself and it filled out that space. And, and it doesn't mean that just because what you see right after surgery is what you have to live with. Yes. There's also a number of essential oils that help with uh, softening scar tissue, healing soft tissue injuries, helping with pain that are very natural and safe and healthy to use. I know in, you know, we use a lot of young living oils and in their physician's uh, desk reference, I believe they call it, which is kind of like the correlate, but full of essential oil options. Uh, they have oils and I've used them for all sorts of things from post-surgical to speeds post-surgical repair for patients to uh, helping muscle repair. So essential oils can be uh, certainly very helpful as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then like once you're completely healed, you get to begin a muscle building program that you weren't able to use because you have implants under your pecs. So I've been pressing and push-ups and flies and just like enjoying my upper body strength coming back. It's really, really uh, I'm, I'm so much happier. That's great. Well, there seems to be a revival of what, you know, kind of a feminist movement going on, a power struggle between men and women as to how men should or shouldn't treat women or females. Uh, you know, you see it in the news that, you know, Donald Trump triggered a lot of this stuff off and there seems to be like very high sensitivity with women now about, Anything a man says, does, how they look at them, people getting uh, reprimanded and let go from jobs for things that normally wouldn't have been considered a big deal. In other words, it seems as though women are sensitized right now. I suspect it's maybe that they're coming, they're stepping more into their power. Um, I'm, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Very much so, yeah. Experiencing a lot of it in the moon circles that I host. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it's a bad thing, but I do think from looking at a lot of the news reports and stories I'm hearing and experiences from men that have told me about things that have happened to them, which normally wouldn't have been any kind of a big deal, and to me just didn't sounded like it was just being blown out of proportion. So I think like a lot of these things, things get magnified by emotions and uh you know people can make a mountain out of a molehill yeah the news is good at perpetuating that too yeah and also so what happens is it starts to empower and secure women to behave in ways toward men that are potentially irrational and even unfair to men so i have empathy for men but i also have empathy for women cuz mm-hmm. i've you know i've witnessed men being just out of hand period. But, um, I'm wondering what do you think with regard to the fact that if women move more into their center and we come to this place as we evolve together where men, I mean, women have more of a sense of equality with men. Do you feel that that would have, um, the impact that women wouldn't feel so driven to get breast implants? So I think that, a lot of the feminist movement up to this point has been about fighting, fighting for our rights, fighting for equality. But 
it's very against a woman's nature to fight. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I feel that as women, if we become supported by our men, the desire to augment their body will diminish. That's, that's my suspicion. I, I think if there's more love in the air, then it takes less of a lure to try to get some. Yes. I.e. So, like a fishing lure, something flashy to m make a man uh, act in, in, in any sense that a woman feels like she's being valued or wanted, uh, even if it's as a sexual object. Some of them are, you know, they only know how to relate at that level, at the level of maturity that they're at. But my intuition is, is that as men begin to appreciate women the way they should, in my opinion – because God knows the world would collapse overnight without women. I know my business would. <laughs> uh, I've seen research showing that the average woman does four to five times as much work as the average man a day. And trust me, having fired plenty of men, uh, it's true. <laughs> it's very true. And, 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 you know, it's just women are just very, very – unique and special creatures. They have 30% more commissorial fibers connecting the left and the right halves of the brain. They can juggle a lot more information. They're generally more environmentally sensitive. All the things that they have to have to raise children turn out to be very valuable uh, assets in relationship, in business, in almost anything. And I think that once women or once men start appreciating women as more than objects that they can control or just sex objects and come to realize how important they are in the world that women may feel more appreciated, more loved, more valued. And my intuition is that that could drop down the uh, urge to use breast implants as a, uh, a compensatory mechanism for getting the love that they're not getting. I, I fully agree with you. I think that, you know, a woman's predominantly yin, you know, she needs to be supported in the role of receiving and not just receiving like shelter or food, but like looking at our sexual practices, it's so common for a man to work a woman until she gets off. And now then it's his turn. But if we, we look at the Taoist, and, and the tantric teachings, it's not healthy for a man to come a lot. And it's, it's really important for them to learn to cultivate and turn that orgasmic energy upward and to give that life force energy back to himself and his organs and to help a woman to receive more connection with herself sexually. And I think that when I see a woman enter a relationship with a man who uh, studies and, and works with these practices, it really changes her role. Yeah. I, I've often, you know, I've often felt that one of the reasons there seems to be more same sex relationships, including women and men, because I've looked at the statistics on this. In fact, I'm going to do a podcast with, uh, a friend of mine that's gay and we're going to get right deep into the issues of being gay because I, I think our culture is very twisted and distorted about its uh, judgments on same-sex relationships. 
but I really feel that um, there has to be some correlation between the way men uh, treat or abuse women in relationships that's driving them to be attracted to same-sex relationships with other women so that they can get some nurture and some softness and some connection. Uh, what do you feel about that? I think that, that you're onto something there. It, you know, it's, I, I think men inherently see beauty in women on, in, in intimate relationships with women. I mean, all, I've never met a guy that didn't enjoy watching a woman make love to a woman. So I think there's something inherently in us that senses that when beauty, because most men see beauty in women meets beauty, it's attractive. And so it's, not hard for a man to support that. But I do feel that, um, you know, because you know what kind of work I do, I do a lot of deep emotional and spiritual uh, assessment and and coaching. And I couldn't begin to count the number of women that uh, feel um, emotionally disconnected. There might be a lot of sex, but there's not a lot of intimacy and love in a lot of the relationships that I find uh, connected to the kinds of problems that people see me for. And certainly that lends itself to a crisis amongst the males as well. And I, I think if you look at um, Basil Vanderklok's book, Your Body Never Lies, and you look at the statistics for um, physical, emotional, and mental abuse of children, that a lot of us are growing up without any role models of healthy male-female connection between parents. And I, I think that we, we have big, big challenges that, uh, that these things that we're talking about are only symptoms of the deeper issue at hand. So I would love to see, I would love to see our culture grow up and, enter into a spiritual awareness that's beyond religious ideology. Not that there's anything wrong with real religion, but it's so rarely practiced. I mean, all you got to do is look at uh, how many people claim to be Christians, but live about as far from the teachings of Jesus as you can possibly get, which is why Deepak Chopra wrote the book, The Third Jesus, which I thought was the most important message to Christians I've ever seen out there. Um. So I'm, I'm just saying that I think a lot of these male-female issues, augmentation, implantation, uh, hanging on to aesthetics when it's not really uh, what we're supposed to be hanging on to at that, at, as we mature as human beings and we're supposed to grow deeper into ourselves. I think a lot of these things have their roots in the family system and that um, – Strangely enough, breast implants and all sorts of plastic surgeries are really just the uh, side effects of broken family systems. I, I would agree with that. Well, as a highly skilled Czech professional, do you offer any specific programs or support for females wanting to get boob jobs, remove implants, or anything related to that as part of your practice? Is that a specific offering that you make? Yeah, actually, I created something for myself that I thought I could duplicate and I have as an online course. It's oh, called good. New Year, New You. 
And it was created for my recovery, but also I think it would be a great thing for anyone who has implants or is thinking about implants or just wants to like support their body. But it's a step-by-step guide in the hierarchy of cleansing. So knowing that you don't want to dump your liver until you've got a colon that's clean and the toxins can go into the colon. So this year-long program is designed to not only move through the organs in in an order that doesn't create a healing crisis, but also in the seasons that work with the organs when they naturally detoxify themselves anyway. Oh, great. Yeah, I designed it so that somebody can still go to work and they can function and they don't end up with one of those massive headaches that puts them down for three days because they're cleansing so hard. But it literally does. It goes through heavy metals and antifungal protocol and uh, does it in a way that, you know, you know what's coming, what to expect and how to navigate it and the importance of it. I think a lot of people use cleansing as a way of repenting. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a physical correlate to cleansing. As you know, you've, you know, you're a, you're what I would call a female shaman and you work with medicine and you know all about the purging process and think of all the times that people are just vomiting nothing, but they don't realize that it's a physical expression of a energetic, emotional, or mental purge that's going on. And and that's something I like to share in my book. You know, when they go to cleanse their colon, I help them understand that they're releasing, releasing grief and, and, and that you might get sad going through this. When you're going into the liver, you might let your family know that you could be irritable and angry because the liver stores anger. Yeah. And uh, I don't think there's a lot out there for people who are embarking on cleanses that helps them understand the emotional correlate like you just spoke of. And, and that's a very um, detailed piece of my online course. And of course, I imagine you're offering structural work so that women can improve posture and and integrate their bodies so that their emotions and their mind are, are in harmony with their body and they get more of their natural beauty. And like I said, they can take that route before they get implants and, and see if they've reached the, you know, if their beauty meter hits the magic number for them. Yeah, I uh, I actually do another online course called Primal Woman, and it is about weightlifting for women, but understanding the energy of the movement. And like when we strengthen the rhomboids that are going to hold our chest up and hold it high, we might also be accessing heartache and heartbreak yes. that were there once before and how to breathe through that and how to move through that. And so... I actually will be launching another online version of Primal Woman probably mid-February if women are interested in learning about not just weight training, but the energetics behind it. It's like weight training meets yoga. Yes. And and also for those listening, if you are interested in good general basic skills, we have Czech Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1, which takes you through my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy and teaches you those principles and a fair bit more. And some of you listening to this may want to follow Nicole's lead and become trained holistic health practitioners to go out and contribute to the world through supporting young women and women of all ages or people in general for achieving optimal holistic health. So that's an offering that I can make in that regard. Your book is my Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. 
<laughs> it's the first thing I recommend to anybody doing those courses. Thank you. Well, listen, Nicole, we've been going for a couple of hours and I've, I've certainly enjoyed it. And, and I think we've shared a lot of really, really valuable information, insights and awarenesses. If there's a closing message uh, that you would like to offer the women of the world today, what would it be? Well, I like to let women know that beauty is not a size or a shape, that it's a feeling. I know this firsthand because I have witnessed it over and over for 15 years of watching women grace the stages. I've seen women with small chest. I've seen women with, you know, um, cellulite show up with love in their hearts and, and a dream in their heart of feeding their children and see that support come through because of them showing up with all of their heart. I've also seen supermodel level beauty grace the stage and empty a stage. And life is a stage. So it's not about what you show up as, but what you're doing before you show up. That's what I would teach women is that it's what we do before we enter the stage that creates the feeling. And it's the feeling that we hold in our heart that is going to be fed to our audience. Yes. And our audience loves to feel good. So do what makes you feel good. And that's different for each and every woman. And I think that the beautiful thing is, is that we're all just exploring what that is. Oh, great spirit. Yeah. Well, thank you. What a great interview. I hope everyone listening enjoyed it. Uh, Nicole, how do they find you? I have two websites. Uh, NicoleDevaney.com is my personal site. Uh, ironandsalt.com is my holistic studio in Salt Lake City. Either one of those will get to my email address. Okay. And D-E capital V-A-N-E-Y, just so you get the spelling right. Nicole, D-E capital V-A-N-E-Y. Yeah. So I love you. Thank you. I love you too, Paul. Thank you. I mean, you are, I know that in the beginning of this, you said you kind of think of me as a daughter. When I was ready to heal, I felt like my elder showed up and that was you. Well, thank you. Thank you for being that for many of us. Well, you know, as captivating as your beauty was in my classroom, I felt spiritually inclined to whisper into your ear and say, Nicole, we got to get you to the next stage of your development because I don't want to see you get stuck here. And you took it with grace. Some, some don't. I've had that conversation <laughs> with a number and, and they don't like hearing the old man drop the awareness that I see trouble heading their way. So <laughs> I, I really appreciate you being wise enough to listen to what I was sharing with you. No, I wasn't making any kind of a personal attack, but that I was genuinely interested in your well-being. No, you've dropped that bomb on me a couple of times, and it's what pushed me to continue to the next class because you were the first person that just cut through the bullshit. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, lots of love and thank you all for listening. And I look forward to sharing with you more on our next Living 4D with Paul Check. Have a great time until then. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, the Czech goddess, Nicole Devaney. Contact Nicole via her website, nicoledevaney.com 
to find out how to get her Beauty of Balance map maker that helps busy women get clear and motivated about their goals. You can follow Nicole on Instagram at Nicole the Czech Goddess and Facebook at The Czech Goddess. To find out more about her consulting services, visit the website for her studio, ironandsalt.com. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4DPodcast or on YouTube, search for Living4D with Paul Checks.